All right, so we are walking through, we're launching really into this theme we're calling Sustain, how faith keeps moving. And what I would love for us to consider is that what we place our trust in will determine the strength of our confidence to keep walking. And so really, that the idea is that a lot of times it's the level of confidence we have in whatever we're walking into or walking through that determines whether or not we keep going. And I don't know about you, but confidence has been one of those things that um, has been elusive. It's kind of like the wind or grasping at it. And there have been times for me where I have found myself feeling very confident, maybe even sometimes overconfident. And there have been other times when I have felt nothing of the sort. In fact, I would say the complete opposite, where all I feel is insecurity and fear and discomfort, even in my own skin, and feel shy and wanting to retreat from whatever it is that's going on. Faith has always been something that kind of comes and goes. And it's an interesting thing, this this idea of faith and confidence. It comes and goes, kind of like the wind. But if we recognize the reality, confidence is an internal disposition, right? It's an internal sense of being. On the other hand, what usually impacts our level of confidence are external factors. It usually comes down to the circumstances we're facing or whatever is going on around us or whatever is happening that may not be panning out that impacts our confidence. I remember, I remember having this uh, realization that I was not able to control what I was experiencing. I was 12 years old. I, uh, my family and I had taken a small vacation down to Mexico. and We had, uh, you know, able to stay on property on the, on the water. And it was beautiful. And one of the things that we ended up doing is going horseback riding. And it was my first time. I had never gone horseback riding before. It, apparently, it was one of those things my parents had always wanted to do, especially my dad. And so I remember we went to the beach. We rented the horses. We, we got the coaching. We, we were told the key word is, whoa. That whenever you want the horse to slow down, that's what you do when you pull on the reins. Or if you want it to turn right, you, whoa. And, it, and, it, and they, they assured us that these horses are, are fantastic. They're great. They listen to you. And you just have to use that word. And they, they, they understand what you're doing. I thought, great. My dad was very excited. And we got on the horses. And we started going. And apparently, he had this dream, this desire to, to gallop. <laughs> and so he starts motivating the horse. And uh, it seemed, it was interesting, the more he tried to motivate the horse, the the slower the horse went. (laughs) And so he kept going, right? He kept trying to stir it and to move it forward. And all of a sudden, I see my dad kind of fading to the back of my left side. And on my right side is my mom. And I'm just sitting there, kind of, we're just kind of just trotting along. And I'm thinking, okay, this isn't so bad. You know, this is enormous beast, right? It's like, I remember looking at it and I I was not, uh, still am not. But I remember getting on it and feeling like, wow, this is, this this is a, you know, this is a forceful thing. So I remember trying, whoa, you know, and it would slow down even more. And so we're going, and my dad's like not whoaing, you know, he's like, go, right? <laughs> Didn't work. And maybe now because I'm a father, I understand, you know, but he, it, it seems to me that he, he realized his dream wasn't going to be fulfilled. And so he thought maybe my son can fulfill my dream. <laughs> you know, but he didn't check in to see if this was my dream. Um, and so he, he ends up slapping the horse on the backside and saying, go. And I remember uh, 
the horse listened to him. <laughs> and it just started going. And at first it started trotting faster. And I just kind of just like, like got startled, grabbed the reins as much as I could and, and just hung there. And then he started going faster and faster and faster. And then it, it full on started galloping. And so we start, we start galloping and I feel the breakfast, you know. And so we're going, and I realize, and I start panicking. So we're galloping through the beach. We're going. And, and I grab the reins, and I go, whoa, whoa, right? And it seemed to do the opposite. It, it went faster. Um, and so then I start, uh, I start crying. Because so I realize I, I, I can't control this thing. And so I start crying. I'm like, whoa, whoa, right? And... You know, it was one of those like convulsive cries, right? Because the more I called, the worse it got. And so then I grabbed his hair and I pulled on it as much as I could. I was like, whoa, please, whoa, right? And all of a sudden, like, you know, it was a, it was a mucus cry, you know? It was one of those, you know, starts flying up in my face. And, and I'm like just completely melting down here. And the horse is going. And I feel like, man, this horse is kidnapping me, you know? <laughs> And all of a sudden, I see this other horse come up. And it was one of the trainers, one of the 10-year-olds. <laughs> he's also galloping. And he's galloping, and he's smiling. And he's looking at me with one hand on the reins. I don't even know <laughs> if he had a saddle. It may have been bareback, you know? He's just going. And then he comes up next to us, and I'm, I'm like just melting down and he just puts his hand over my horse's face and uh and says something it wasn't whoa it was another secret i don't know and the horse just stopped slowed down and he came over and he goes get off and he got off and he comes around this 10 year old boy and i just jump off and i remember landing on the sand grabbing it, so happy. <laughs> and then I look back, to, like my parents, you know, I need to go to them, and, and there's my dad taking pictures, you know. <laughs> Making sure we'll never forget this moment in our lives. And, and I share that because, you know, I think a lot of times that, that, is, that is such a real picture of what... Um, Oh, what our faith journey is like. <laughs> Where we jump into something, we think, we, we initiate something, and we think, man, this is going to be good. And we have an idea of what this is going to pan out. And we, we have something inside of us that says, this is a good idea. And then we step into it. And over time, as we step into things, we assume things will work out a certain way, and they don't. They start actually changing on us, and all of a sudden, circumstances are different, and they may become a little unruly, a little out of control, too risky, perhaps. And we start to get exposed to the realities of what we just did. And, and then if we're not careful at that moment, when we start to recognize the risk that we've took, the vulnerability of exposing ourselves putting ourselves out there. It's all too natural to want to get out of that circumstances as, as quickly as we can. I, I remember, yes, being 12 years old, feeling like I only, I just want to get 
I just want to get off this horse. And I can tell you, uh, being 36, that feeling still comes up when things get out of control, a little too wild, too risky. And what we do then in those moments, especially with regards to our faith journey, how we respond, well, it all depends on who we put our trust in. Whether or not we will keep walking or we'll turn back. And this is personally why, see, I love the scriptural accounts of Jesus interacting with his followers, of Jesus interacting with people, because what we see is a very real human picture. And we see Jesus' ability to step into our world and meet us right there. In fact, if you open up your handout, we'll walk through an account. It's a remarkable account. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're told, and we'll just jump into it in verse 22, and we're told that immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. See, this word immediately, it actually speaks of something that had just happened. And Jesus had miraculously fed 5,000 people along the shore of Galilee. And these 5,000 people recognized what had just happened, and they wanted to elevate him to the highest level of leadership. And he recognized if the crowd installed him, he would be beholden to the crowd. And so he didn't want that. He dispersed them. He acted contradictory to what human nature would desire. At the height of his fame and popularity, rather than embracing their embrace, he disperses them. And we're told that he ends up asking the disciples to meet him on the other side. He says to them, get into the boat, go before me to the other side. As he is dismissing the crowds, and you get the sense that the disciples, as usual, wanted to stay with Jesus. You get the sense that they would think to themselves, this isn't wise. We shouldn't leave you with so many people, unprotected. Are you sure you want us to do this? And how are you going to get to the, how are you going to meet us? I guess we'll see you on the other side of the lake, of the Sea of Galilee. And perhaps reluctantly, the disciples, told to do this by Jesus, end up obediently getting into the boats and going. And we're told in verse 23 that after he had dismissed the crowds, Jesus went up to the mountain, went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, which is, a, again, a remarkable picture that Jesus chose to step away from popularity and, and fame into solitude. It, it, it's one of those accounts that highlights something. It, 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 seems, it seems that he decided he wanted to be alone with God over being with the innumerable crowd, which tells us, as it seems, it appears, solitude with God is a prerequisite, that the ability to be alone with God is a prerequisite for depth of soul and strength of character. And listen, the ability to sustain his strength didn't come 
from the crowd. We're told that as he sent them off into the night, he never lost touch of where they were. In verse 24, the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. It's, uh, another version says they, they were having trouble far away from the land, that is in the middle of the sea, for strong wind had arisen, and they were fighting heavy waves. So while Jesus was praying in solitude with God, the men who he had sent across the sea are what? They're in the middle of a storm, a difficult one, which by the way, they're in the middle of a storm that they found themselves in because Jesus sent them there. It's an interesting thing. It seems that Jesus ends up moving them toward this place of being confronted by natural elements of resistance. Elements that would cause them to work extremely hard just to move an inch. And, and we're told that as, as they're going through this, they are finding themselves in the middle of the sea. That is, they, they are in what we would say, in a place of peril. G. Campbell Morgan said this, he, he, and I asked him to put this up there, whatever difficulty we have found our way into, and we have found our way into difficulties through disobedience as well as obedience, he is always there to help us out. See, we would say, yes, there have been messes that I have created. And we might find ourselves in one. And we might say, there's a storm of my own making. But if we're not careful, we might think that because it's a storm of our own making, that when we follow Jesus and we move into this faith journey, that there will be no storm. And see, storms exist, but he is always there. He is always aware. Always. In fact, Jesus, we're told in verse 25, that in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them never having losing track of them. Even as he was praying with God, never losing sight of them, he came to them. And then it just is put there. Nothing is qualified. Walking on the sea. From the mountain into the storm. Jesus moves. This fourth watch is a Roman military term because they divided the night into four watches. And the fourth watch started at three, ended at six, it would be between 3 in the morning and 6 in the morning in the dead of night. And Jesus would step onto the water. And you get the impression that having never lost sight of them, as he's moving toward them, the disciples who at this point have had an extraordinarily long night of fighting natural elements just to move forward, in obedience to what Jesus was asking them to do, that they, upon seeing this apparition... They, perhaps beaten down, weary, discouraged, fatigued, not being able to make out what it is that they were seeing, they see this ghost-like figure, consider it bizarre, surreal, maybe it's dreamlike, who knows what's going on, but one thing is for sure, it was frightening, it was, it was terrifying, 
It was unsettling. We're told in verse 26 that when the disciples saw him, they walking on the water, they were terrified. And they said, it is a ghost. And when it says they cried out in fear, this was grown men. Grown men who had grown up in these waters. Fishermen by trade who had understood what it was like to step into, to navigate through these elements. And it seems the storm wasn't the terror. It seems the challenge and resistance and turbulence they were experiencing wasn't what what tipped them over. It seems that what tipped them over was the inexplicable awareness of something in the shadows. Now, they were accustomed to what they were experiencing. It was a part of their lives. They understood it. What they did not understand was in the middle of this to see what they could only describe as a ghost. And the terror strikes them to the core. It paralyzes them. They shriek. What is that? It's a ghost. What's going on here? Immediately, we're told Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Words, it seems that he decided to answer their fear with his presence. Because they couldn't couldn't see him. Clearly. But we have to understand the waves were still roaring. The wind was still howling. They were in the middle of the night, no land to be seen. They look out and all they see is this silhouette and what they hear. Oh, what a powerful, thunderous voice it must have been. Because what they hear is Jesus stepping into that place, standing there, revealing himself. I want you to take heart. It's me. And the voice of Jesus reminds us that there is an aspect of who he is that can only be known in the storm. There is an aspect of his nature, of his power and his capacity that is only discovered in the middle of turbulent waters. Dark nights and howling winds. That there, as he stands above it all, yet he addresses those in the middle of it. He says, I'm right here. And that should give you strength. And Jesus says this. And Peter, caught up in the moment, perhaps wondering what this all means, his impetuous nature, fearlessly and boldly ends up stepping into this moment with initial courage. And we're told that Peter in verse 28 answered him and he said, Lord, if it is you, then I want you to command me to come out to you on the water. Because if that's you, it's almost as if he's saying, I've seen you speak things into being. I've seen you do it. Where the lame, all of a sudden, because you told them to get up and walk, they started walking. 
We just saw it yesterday. You fed the masses by thanking God when you had just a couple breads, a couple pieces of loaves of bread and a couple fish. And so if you tell me to come out to you, if that is you, you will tell me to come out and I will do it. It's, it's an amazing moment in which Peter exercises something of his bold, fearless confidence. He comes out and he ends up shining. And we're told that as he dared test whether or not this was Jesus, what he got in return, well, it was remarkable. We're told in verse 29 that he said, Jesus said to him, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. The first step must have been the hardest. Stepping into liquid, feeling something solid. Or perhaps being sustained by something that he didn't even consider. What we know is that he didn't think about it too much. That seems to be his strength, Peter's. <laughs> we also know that he didn't think too much. That also seemed to be his weakness, Peter's. Because what he didn't do is consider the implications of what he was doing. He didn't sit there and analyze it. He jumped. He got out of the boat. And we don't know how many steps he took, but we know he took enough not to be able to grab onto the boat again. It may have been one step large enough for him to stand there. And it may have been two, it may have been three. We really don't know. And we're not really asked to consider the qualities of what is actually happening here. But we know this. It seems that according to Matthew's account, Peter was a forefather of extreme sports. <laughs> that he decided to break out of what he was told was impossible. And he decided to give it a go. We don't know exactly what caused Peter to ask Jesus. We know this. Jesus said, don't be afraid, it's me. Peter said, if it's you, then I want to come out to you. And Jesus said, you want to come to me? Do it. For a moment, for a moment, Peter did what no other human being has ever done. He defied gravity. He experienced something that will never be taken from him. Peter's human. And Peter were told in verse 30 that after having experienced this, he ends up, he says, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. How do you see wind? How do you see something you can only feel? And it was a, he was terrified and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me, save me. Because as he is stepping toward Jesus, making his way, defying the, the logic and the reason of what he is doing, he steps toward Jesus and all of a sudden you, you sense it. He's made aware of how far out he's come. He realizes he's exposed and he feels it. And the elements that threaten to overwhelm him, he was able to control at least to some degree in the boat. But now being completely out there, vulnerable. What, is he, what, what happens? Fear overwhelms him, and he cries out the echo of humanity, Lord, save me. Three words, by the way, that will change any person's life. Three words that cause somebody to transfer into eternal life. Three words. 
Lord, save me. Lord, save me, please. And immediately we're told that Jesus ends up reaching out his hand and he took hold of him and saying, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Why did you doubt? It's two things. One, immediately should be capitalized. It was not a moment before Peter stopped uttering those three words. Lord, save me. I'm too far out. I'm overwhelmed. I'm afraid. I'm scared. I'm going to be overcome. I'm going to drown. Jesus is immediately there, grabs him, embraces him, loves him, lifts him up. And at the same time, lovingly reproves him. You were almost there. Peter, do you know what you just did? You were almost there. Let's go. We're told words, by the way, that I doubt Peter even understood or, or grasped. We're told in verse 32 that when they got back into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshipped him. That is to say, to declare who Jesus is. And they said, truly, you are the Son of God. The essence of worship is to declare who he is. And they did it. They discovered something about Jesus in the middle of a storm they would rather have avoided. They discovered something about the storm they would have never experienced had Jesus not been there. And they discovered something about themselves. One thing is for certain, it should, it should comfort us that Jesus sent them into this storm. Because this faith journey, we have to understand this, our faith journey will encounter headwinds. This must be something we settle our hearts with. That the reality of the matter is that life can beat us down like the boat in those circumstances. And a lot of times we think, we think, that because we are on a faith journey, headwinds cease. Or at least, isn't that the way it's supposed to work? Like if God is in this, doesn't that mean resistance clears out? Isn't that what it means? Isn't it, doesn't it mean that the, the waters are calm and the sun is always shining and the path is always clear and we just stroll our way? Because that is the desire of our heart. And I'll tell you what, any faith that promises that is actually promising something false. Because what Jesus said was, no, in this life, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. In other words, when you are meeting resistance every way you go, do not fall prey to the very easy temptation to think, why me? Because the reality is, every single one of us has our day in the storm. Our season. Our year. And the sunny days are wonderful and beautiful. But let us never mistake the reality that because we may be beaten down by the circumstances we're in or because stuff inside of us starts to come up or because the past baggage starts to revisit us or because our emotions are depleted and we're weary and we're tired or because our relationships that mean something to us are being strained and all of a sudden there's a gap and we find ourselves in the middle of something that loses, that loses our ability to orient where we're going, what we're doing. The temptation in those moments, especially if we are moving forward with what we sense God is trying to do, is to do what? It's to get out. It's to retreat. Maybe this isn't the way. Maybe I should stop. Maybe I should not keep walking. 
And the reality is, listen, the only way, and this is so simple, but it's sometimes the simplest things that are the hardest. We keep walking when we keep our eyes on Jesus. There's no other way around it. Jesus didn't calm the storm. He called Peter into it. He met them there. And Peter was able to do something remarkable. He, listen, he, he, he was not able to walk on water because somehow he developed the capacity to do it. Or because he had extraordinary courage. None of us can ever taste or see or see breathe within our soul. No, he did it because who he looked at, who he focused on. And that empowered him to do what no other person thought even possible. The reality of the matter is the waves may not stop right away. The wind might be howling in our soul. And we might be meeting resistance and it won't go away. What we're not asked to do is to avoid it or to pretend it doesn't exist. The remarkable thing is that Jesus, it's his voice that leads us through it. It's his voice. Will you come? Come, Peter. He stepped into it. Listen, when we, when we understand this, so much of our ability to remain and to sustain is actually not totally connected to what we're walking through as much as it's connected to the focus of our mind and our heart, our ambition, and our desires. There, the capacity to remain is won and lost. There which is why it's so important for us to start discovering what his voice sounds like. Because in the dark night, we may not be able to see him, but you'll always be able to hear him. It's whispering to your soul. And in his assurance, we discover, we discover that Jesus is the one who helps us fail forward to keep walking. Because what he doesn't do is expect us to somehow do this miraculously without ever faltering, without ever turning back, without ever dropping, without ever sinking. But what he does is in those moments where we veer off, which is so natural for us to do, or when we start to step back, which is so natural for us to do, that in those moments, really what we, what we can see here is that as Peter shifted his focus onto the wind, what happened? Three words brought him back. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And Jesus came to him and grabbed him and strengthened him and let him stand. And we don't know how long. We don't. 
But this is the beautiful thing about Jesus, is that any failure that Jesus is a part of is not actually the failure that does us in. It's the failure that helps us keep moving forward. Because that failure ends up helping us discover something about what we experienced and we gain wisdom. That failure ends up helping us discover something about ourselves and we gain compassion. That failure ends up helping us discover something about Jesus and we gain courage. And we fail forward, which is actually inherently the definition of what it is to run. To keep moving forward. He is the one who is able to come to us, whisper to us, grab us, strengthen us, tell us, listen, that was good. You could have done better. Now let's go. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of what happens when our journey coincides with what Jesus is calling us into. What we discover is Jesus loves risk takers and he loves to reward them. Because I don't know about you, listen, it doesn't mean that, because Jesus, listen, he rewards a risk taken. He does. He does. He doesn't reproach it. Especially when it's one casting itself on him. It, he never, he never denies it, never shames it, ever. He rewards it. Because one thing we know is that in that place of Peter being able to discover something about Jesus, of Peter being able to discover something about himself, and indeed the storm he was in, <laughs> how do I say this? I would rather be Peter than the 11 in the boat. How about you? It doesn't mean every risk should be taken. It doesn't mean we should do it thoughtlessly every single time. It doesn't mean that we should be foolish. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't think things through and act hastily. No, it doesn't mean that. What it means is when we take a risk, when we move forward, especially when we sense Jesus calling us into it, we sense the voice of the one who created and breathed life into us, calling us into it, that is, it is there we will discover so much more about who we were created to be, about what we thought was, was not possible, about who he is, and in his grip, we will keep walking. We will continue to sustain. It doesn't require a ton of faith as much as it requires who we have our faith in. Jesus said, if you have faith in God, that's as small as a mustard seed. It's all you need. When I was younger, in my teens, started learning what this was all about, dealing with a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. I remember somebody saying to me, why don't you try to commit these words to memory and say them out when you start feeling afraid and like you want to turn back. I thought I'd read them. It's Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your straight paths before you. May we be the ones who our confidence rests on the one who steps into the storm 
gives us the courage to walk, to continue, to fail forward, and to be rewarded as we keep moving. May that be who we are. May that be who we become. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are the one. You're the one who is um, fully aware of everything we are experiencing individually. I pray, God, that even in these remaining moments we have here together, you would help us hear your voice in the middle of our storm, that you would quiet fear down, anxiety, insecurity, and you would elevate to the surface strength of courage, the capacity to lean and trust in you, and give us the ability in our own way, God, to do what we thought was never possible. May we get to experience the reward of those who walk on water. In Jesus' name, amen.